0: Hi, I'm Ajanta. Since COVID created a scene, we've all shrunk to those tiny zoom screens. Our college is a pitara of amazing stories and journeys, but sadly, we could not listen to them quite so much. So we at Locuents thought to present to you a series wherein we interact with our professors in an effort to get to know them better and also take some tips that would be useful for a lot of us. So here we are in a conversation with Professor Minakshi Sharma from the communications area where she remembers her bubbly nature when she was a kid, talks about her IMA journey and gives some useful tips for your GDs and interviews. I just quickly start with the first thing that we wanted to ask. Um, I mean, we sort of wanted to have a glimpse of how your life at IMA has been like. I mean, there would have been some moments that would have stood out. So... <laughs> Just wanted
1: to know briefly about that, yeah. So I've been here from uh, 2007-8. First I came in one year as a visiting to teach um, a course which was a predecessor of WIP. And then the next year I joined as a full faculty, so it's been 14 years around that. And um, there are many highlights, it's hard to pick. But my favorite really I, ha- I think has been when I interact with students in um, the first term, and that excitement is so tangible almost. Um, because very often the first class of term one would be dub- would be WAC. and we would meet the students on day one. And I love that excitement, that sense of pride, that having made it sitting there in that classroom, that it's all real. And, you know, we as faculty also feel that that's a special moment. And of course, otherwise, you know, the convocation which sees the culmination of those two years of uh, hard work, um, seeing the proud parents there and, you know, the pride with which they Um, are there you know attending that grand ceremony again something we missed out last year Um, but those have been you know warm moments I also think that this community this very special sense of community that our institute has is absolutely unique I have not encountered it elsewhere and I have worked at a few places because I came to IMA um, you know in like the middle of my career I didn't start here so I have experienced other places, but uh, this is just a wonderful, lovely place where because of the way it is designed, because we all live on the same you know, campus, we are sharing everything. It seems really like a community, which in other places the claim is made, but it does not feel like that. So um, yeah, I would say interviewing students again, that's exciting time when everyone is, at their best and you know so many hopeful people you hear so many interesting stories and whether they come here or not we you know we can't even say at that point but it's lovely to interact with potential students so those are what i would come to my mind
0: i mean for sure now for sure i do not want my convocation to be on a virtual medium i just i think Mm -hmm. fingers crossed for that because we really miss our classrooms I also wanted to know, how were you as a child, you know, because were you somebody who would, you know, participate avidly in debates or uh, were you the shy kid in the class who would rarely speak?
1: Oh my goodness. My teachers had this one constant complaint that she never stops talking. Uh, I was very talkative in class and at home, uh, non-stop chatterbox. But uh, I think later I did become... Uh, a little more quiet a little shyer only participating when I had something to contribute and otherwise listening especially when I later went on to do my PhD which was after seven years of being a college prof I, I left it and I took leave and went to do my PhD and there I kind of initially felt that everybody knew more than me so I just should be quiet and listen and um, and then I began to you know have the courage that what I have to say is also um, you know smart or perceptive and I should not shy from saying it. I think in school days my forte did turn out to be writing. I mean the speaking was whatever but writing is what I was really appreciated for by my teachers and it gave me a lot of confidence. The fact that I connected with the teacher who taught me in classes six and seven about two years back I had never seen her in that interview. And she remembered me. And of course I had never forgotten her because of the fabulous feedback I used to get on my normal class submissions. And she used to make me feel so special and partly um, that sort of fed into my sense of who I am and what I'm capable of. Yes, so writing then became something important. Of course, I was an avid reader. I was voracious, um, reading anything that came into my hands and what came into my hands was a lot because my dad was a very literary minded person he was not a professor he was not an academic but our house we had a personal library of my dad which was thousands of books right so i was surrounded by books i had two elder brothers one of whom was a very avid reader And he's six years older than me so i was actually reading way ahead of myself i was reading what he was reading and i think now in retrospect most of it must have gone above my head but i didn't care i just read i read whatever he gave me i would read it or in my school library so all that gave me confidence in just knowing you know it opens up the world to you reading i have always believed is the best way to learn about life, to learn about people, to understand how others work, to have empathy, to, to, there's really no substitute, I I think. And people called me bookish, they called me a bookworm, and I didn't mind. I thought that was great. You know, rather than spending time on useless things, um, there was so much to read, I would say. Um, I would prefer to read. So in that sense, I became shy. I would not sit and chit-chat with people. I would have so many books waiting to be read that I would excuse myself. So it's a mixed bag. I did some to answer your question, Not much. Some elocution, singing, the school plays, a little bit of uh, debating. Yeah, if they came my way, I would
0: do it. Yeah. Wait, so uh, did you always want to become a professor? Uh, or you mm-hmm. wanted to be somebody else? It was just a process.
1: Well, I have actually kind of disappointed my dad by not going on the path he wanted me to go on by being very uh, clear around when I was in college that I would not take the civil services exam, which was his dream and um, and will go into an academic uh, life. So yes, I was clear till, till I was about 15 I had accepted that i would do what my dad wanted me to do but then when i became a little more able to think for myself and see my strengths and what i wanted in life also um i realized that i would prefer this
0: so yeah that that was clear for me i'm pretty much sure that you've not really disappointed your dad With <laughs> uh, anyway uh Another thing is that sometimes we feel anxious, right? I mean, uh, as a student, even I've felt it that we do sometimes feel anxious while we are just about to give our presentations or right before our interviews are about to start. I still remember uh, during uh, the internship uh, process happening, all of us were really nervous as to what is going to happen next. I mean, that anxiety actually comes up, right? So, Mm So, just want to know that what has been your journey in terms of building confidence while communicating?
1: Yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, I don't think there'll be very many people who do not feel anxious uh, while speaking, and especially while speaking when you're being evaluated. That is one of the most nerve-wracking things, and there is no getting away from the fact that it's a stressful situation, right? And uh, yeah, I have faced that. And uh, continue to, I mean, whenever you're going to speak to a set of people you don't know, there are some butterflies, however much you have experience of speaking, right? Then you get comfortable as it goes on. So what my experience has taught me really is that, uh, I mean, the way I've handled it is to be really on top of your game in terms of your subject, your... Um, whatever be your area of expertise, what that is going to be about, your preparation has to be thorough. So I do not believe at all in uh, muddling through or making some superficial, you know, tactical um, impressions that will get you by. So not, not those short tricks, right? Um, over preparation. So I say that in class, I say it in my book, and I, I, I truly believe that there's preparation, there's over preparation. So once you are totally in control of whatever can be thrown at you, right? The second thing is uh, just getting your nerves under control by giving yourself, myself, that's what I did, lots of exposure to speaking, just speaking in general, which is easier for someone who likes to speak. But uh, otherwise, also, I tell people, give yourself the opportunity to speak. Speak on, speak with in small groups, speak amongst friends, you know, on, on something slightly substantial, right? And exchange views, give and take, listen to the other person, respond to what they're saying. Again, to do that, you must have some base of knowledge and information and you know, things, views, opinions. But once you have that, the practice of articulating your ideas in front of people. I'm not saying necessarily the practice of the interview, of the presentation or of whatever, but the practice of speaking, getting your thoughts from your head onto your tongue and being able to put them out, that practice. Um, The more I did that, the more I became in the habit of speaking on topics, um, engaging with people. I could gauge what works, what doesn't work. Where are the places where I lose people's interest? where I'm not able to convey my point effectively. So a little bit of reflection after that, right? Um, That helps. And it did get easier. Although, as I said, some nerves will always remain and which is not a bad thing.
0: And because you actually talked about practicing this actually, uh, and practicing helps. So where does a person actually start? So this is something that a lot of people ask as to where do I really start and because everybody has different opinions or they've had their own experience as to what worked for them and what did not work for them. Because but you've been teaching students for quite a lot of time. So is, are there certain tips that actually worked for a lot of them?
1: As in uh, spoken communication? Yes, um, spoken mm-hmm. communication. Well, where one starts depends on where you are at this point. If you're already here, you know, in your post-graduation then of course you cannot go back and you know do more you have to be start from where you are otherwise for generally i say start as young as possible you know so people say okay i'll take your input pass it on to my children uh but wherever you are you're at at that point what are the common kind of um speaking situations you find yourself in are you often asked to be making presentations? Is it meetings or discussions or brainstorming? What are the kinds of ways in which you are often um, required to um, speak, right? And there building your confidence comes from perhaps assessing, you know, what others are saying. Maybe take a little while and get a sense of the others who are doing the talking. Are they saying some earth-shattering, you know, discoveries or are they making logical points or some of them making illogical points and that seems to you you're also a critical listener every time you're there as a speaker also put on your critical listening hat and see that you know um, from the my perspective as a listener what is working or not in those guys who are speaking you know that itself is a lesson to me so when I speak I don't want to be doing the things I already judged as not effective I want to be doing the things I already judged as effective. Then of course you, by the time you're in your post-graduation, already have some sense of what are your strengths and weaknesses. Perhaps you work on them that I don't speak uh, early enough or that I hold on to my ideas till somebody has already said my idea and now I'm left with nothing because I was... uh, You know, sometimes we are our worst critics. We are editing our own thoughts so much before speaking And there are others who already say them and they get the applause and then we think, oh, stupid me, why didn't I speak up, right? So I think a couple of such experiences and one should quickly learn that one should speak up earlier. That's my flaw or my fault. And I should try to overcome that. So basically it's a sense of listening to others and assessing what works and what doesn't work, reviewing in oneself what has worked and what I need to improve upon. Practicing this, perhaps sometimes if there's something high, um, you know, stakes coming up, then trying to get together something lower stake and trying it out over there. Maybe not the exact topic, maybe even not the same scenario, but again, getting to speak out the kinds of things you would talk about over there. Maybe amongst peers, maybe amongst Family, whoever, but trying it out in a less pressured, lower stake environment. This is to answer, Palak, what you asked about where does one start? You know, so that kind of is where I would say um, starting might help.
0: Uh, Ma'am, you've also taught students both in the offline and the online mode. So what are the differences that you see in terms of students communicating? Do you Mm -hmm. see any difference? I'm I'm sure, right? There might be a lot of differences. So what has been your observation?
1: See, when online classes began, I did have some apprehension as as to how will this um, sort of pan out. Uh, I must say that the experience has not been very different from the physical classes. Um, again, in all my years, not just at IMA, there are a few people who seem short of sleep or, you know, whatever, and they are not fully paying attention. And that remains, you know, even in offline classes as well as online, there might be, I can understand a percentage of people who might be slacking off because they feel they're not so much under observation. But the same thing happens in a physical class, so it's not much different um there is sufficient engagement i have a sense i could be wrong but i have a sense that those who want to engage are not really uh, not engaging they are they they are with um, the chat function with the raising of the hand and with or when speaking when asked to speak um the kind of proportion of students i would find responding in the classroom uh, is I would say very close to what I find in the online too. What I do miss is the intangible energy. It's very hard to put your finger on it. There's that energy, there's a feeling of an offline class. There is that sense of everybody pouring into the classroom and the last two minutes before, you know, 8.45 or 10.20 or whatever. And the class is basically empty and then everybody just comes in there. All that excitement is... Kind of something I miss. But then again, once you're in the classroom, all that goes out of the window. I forget whether it's offline, online. You have a task to do. There is a topic to be discussed or a case or whatever. And um, the mood uh, does not seem very different, even from my perception of the students. One hears about, you know, claims about um, connectivity issues and this and that. But that is where what I'm putting in that category of some people, even in a physical class, not fully being present. Their mind being elsewhere. So so how can... There is a limit to how much one can ensure, uh, you know? So, yeah, I don't think... I mean, you guys will be in a better position to tell me whether students are having problems communicating
0: or not. And, you know, if I... Uh... Uh, talk about in another aspect you talked about listening skills right Uh, so how do you think the habit of listening has been affected Uh, do uh, people actually prefer listening to long sentences or they want to want the other person to actually keep it short because I remember uh, when we were having our uh, interviews uh, when we were sitting for our internships we were told that you know you need to keep it crisp because uh, the interview will not last as long as it used to um, in a physical medium so because uh, just expect that they will um, expect shorter uh, time span or uh, they would want more crisp answers mm-hmm. so i just wanted to understand as to uh, do people actually want uh, the other person on sitting on the other hand to actually speak really crisp um, what are your thoughts on this i
1: think generally in spoken communication compared to written communication forget the offline online the two other modes that is writing and speaking writing gives you the benefit as the receiver so the, whoever's the reader has the advantage that they can reread a sentence they can reread a whole paragraph they can reread go back five pages and read whatever was the reference which they seem to have uh, can't recall right now So writing, therefore, you have the luxury that you can write more complex sentences. You can write, um, and and only when the subject demands it. You should never write complex sentences for the heck of it. But even when it demands it, one must realize that in the spoken mode, we've been listeners also. We've not always been speakers, right? So whenever I am the listener, we know that when someone speaks a really long sentence, I have to... Hold all those words in my head till the full stop is reached, and then I get the complete sense of it. You are asking me to do a lot more. As a listener, I'm doing a very difficult activity, right? And then that activity is being made more difficult because of the length and complexity of the sentences, which is putting additional pressure on me, right? Now, again, when we reverse these roles and I'm the speaker and I know this happens whenever I'm a listener, then I should use that perception to change the way I speak because my listener should not have that same trouble. Should not have to contain various clauses and uh, parts of a sentence and hold them on till the sentence is complete and then make sentence make sense because by that time I will move on to my next sentence. So the poor listener is just struggling and playing catch up. For that reason, one always in speaking compared to in writing needs to be much more aware of keeping your ideas closer together. Right? The other thing which you, you say you have been advised about in the uh, you know internship interviews or things like that, the entire thing might be... Sh- uh, sort of condensed because it is online that is more about the whole time rather than individual sentences that the entire message that you want to contain you to convey it will be in your interest that you get it out before they suddenly cut it short and say you know time is up or we're only giving it 20 minutes compared to 40 minutes now you don't want that part of your the whole message that you wanted to put across did not get done. So that is more about condensing in that entire thing rather than making your uh, sentences crisper. Of course, sentences crisper, as I said, applies to spoken communication uh, regardless of mode. Yeah.
0: Just uh, wanted to talk a bit on uh, group discussions as well uh, because mm-hmm. that's quite a topic uh, transferring the virtual mode. Mm -hmm. So uh, what, according to you, are some common mistakes that students do or students make while preparing for group discussions?
1: What I have seen is not the preparation. I have ended up seeing the end result. And the end result makes me suspect what the preparation might have been and also what the advice might have been that they received, right? And the sense we get, and sometimes this is sort of confirmed by speaking to students, Uh, you know, about why they were doing it the way they were and to then it to be revealed that uh, they got the advice that you have to do it in a certain way. That certain way does not lead to the best performance because that certain way says that this is like a contest and you have to get yourself into the discussion. Also, Sometimes that you must all agree to speak in a serial manner. So, you know, just one after the other you speak. So either it is very uh, free for all, everybody jumping in, you know, or it is too structured and people are just speaking that set pieces one after the other. Now, neither of them amounts to a discussion. The word, key word is discussion. What is the group doing? doing a discussion? And a discussion means a give and take. It means as much speaking as listening. And if each person in that group is only interested in speaking, there will be no discussion. These are like mini presentations or mini speeches that people give out, which does not. Because for it to be a discussion, it has to respond to one idea, has to be in response to the other idea, to build on it, to refute it to take it further, to question its logic. But if each person is not listening, but has come prepared with certain points which they must insert into what is being said, the whole thing becomes meaningless. It it does not deserve to be called a discussion. And that is the point. Unless you come there ready to be a critical listener, that is you listen, you see that there there is logic in what the person is saying, You respond to that, you appreciate that, you build on it. Um, If there isn't, then you have enough understanding to be able to say what is not okay with that line of reasoning and then to propose what you are saying, which means that you reflect, you come not with a prepared set, but you come with faculties of critical thinking, listening, and of course, enough sufficient knowledge about the industry or about the sector, whatever it is that you expect the topic to be about. Once you come with all of that, that's the preparation you do. You do not need the preparation in terms of points already made. Or the preparation in terms of when can I say my set piece, regardless of where the, the discussion has gone. So, so all that prevents it from becoming an organically developing discussion. And it just ends up very stilted and artificial posturing by different individuals. That's not a discussion. Uh,
0: but uh, there are also certain times, uh, for example, I remember uh, a group discussion uh, last year uh, while, uh, I was, uh, while the internship process was going on and it was a complete fish market, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody was uh, speaking from here and there. What to do in that situation? Because you have to speak something, yes. but you just can't if you, you know, because if you just keep on listening or you just look for a chance mm-hmm. without actually disrupting the fish market, that also sometimes just is not under your control. So what yes. to, what can the students do under those situations?
1: Once it is a fish market, remember that nobody who's jumping around in that fish market is actually scoring anything. They, they think they're doing it and I have been at the evaluating end of it, and I have not given any great scores to the people who are saying random things just to be heard. But of course, your point is right. If you completely stay silent, then I have received nothing on which to evaluate, right? Uh, A lot of tact is needed uh, over there, and yet you have to say something which responds to one of the things those people in the fish market said, right? So at least the observer, the evaluator sees that you are different, you understand what it should be, and you're trying to do that. Somebody will then shout over you and your voice, will, your line of reasoning that you introduced will get lost. But people who are observing would have seen that, right? So you still, the, the student who is who has approached it in the right manner, should continue to make the efforts. But those efforts should not be to become like them. The effort should be to bring it back, back on the track of a logical discussion. So take up one of the points somebody said and say whether you agree with it, whether that's a good point. Also try a lot of people then learn to say these phrases. And again, you know, they don't mean it. That's Oh, that's a good point. Or, you know, taking that forward. And then they're not taking that forward. They say a random thing, which is their set piece, which they already had no connection with that, right? To truly take it forward or to truly respond to what that person is say, that should be your effort. Now, of course, when everyone is shouting, maybe you will have to raise your voice a little, even just to be heard. So to that extent, you may have to become like them, but don't become like them in terms of saying uh, pre... pre uh, pre-ready, pre-made, you know, pieces that uh, on the topic because that doesn't score anything.
0: Mm. Uh, Another question is on body language. Uh, Do you really think that body language plays a diminished role in a virtual setting? Because of course, uh, a lot of us will, like, all of us will be giving our interviews in a virtual medium Mm -hmm. and uh, that's a very important point for us to consider because uh, yeah. If we you know nothing about it, just goes all in vain and we act like we always do and we don't realize that, okay, mm-hmm. this should not be done, right? So, any tips on that?
1: So, if in the virtual mode, your interactions will be um, still with a video, then your body language is still being observed and it is part of the full communication that you're putting out there, right? Right? Um, Long time back when it wasn't even online, we used to even talk about if you are conversing on the phone, is there no, is there nothing else other than the content of what you're saying, right? And then, of course, in today's uh, world, it is uh, video, which means you're being seen, you're being heard. So, of course, your content, the verbal part, the words you're saying, uh, how well you're constructing your idea how well you're articulating the thought that you're wanting to put across that is a given so to focus on the non-verbal part the body language part it's all there I mean uh, I think what is just not there is that people cannot touch you like shake your hand or um, you know something like that pat you on the back but other than that your other body language cues which are Your um, facial expression, firstly. Your, um, Your head movement, your eyes, expression in your eyes, your smiling, all of these are still there. And whatever they do in the offline mode, the same thing they're doing there. They become part of the package. Your words convey confidence in what you're saying, but your facial expression should match that. It should look like you believe what you're saying. And... It's a very, it becomes a very powerful combination. Otherwise you're doing yourself a disservice because if you say them blandly without any facial expression, your eyes sparkling with confidence, with energy, um, then you're making your words do all the work. You can support your words with that. And your second very powerful tool is your voice. And people often forget that voice is part of body language. Uh, The posture, are you sitting upright and yet, you know, don't look stiff and um, freaked out. You look comfortable, but, you know, alert. And um, that is still there, whether in a physical interview or in the the online. But uh, to come back to voice, your voice carries so much of your energy, the tone with which you are speaking, your excitement, your conviction in what you're saying. Uh, the pauses, the lilt of your tone, uh, all of that. And uh, it, it's just, uh, I don't think it makes any sense to you know, forget this and think that because it is offline, online um, body language is somehow out of the equation. It very much is. Um, so you can make yourself stand out by using it um, better. For those who have neglected it, perhaps there is some comfort that the receivers might be overlooking it and not expecting too much. But there is the chance for others to shine by, by speaking with so much, you know, consciously reminding themselves to be very alert about the tone, the energy they're putting out, their uh, way they're holding themselves up, you know, the posture, your facial expressions, um, that you will stick in the memory as somebody who's, you know, who's who's giving the whole package. I mean, I've had people in physical interviews who say, oh, they didn't get this. They were not selected. And I said, well, if you were speaking the way you're speaking right now, I would not pick you up because you're not projecting energy. You're not projecting enthusiasm, um, conviction in what you say. So you've got to remember that, right? I think it applies very much um, Because don't make your um, verbal message do all the work, you know, the words.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think all of us (laughs) need to remember this. Um, Yeah, so there is this uh, very interesting course called Managerial Communication you talked about that is being launched for PGP once this year. So tell us something about it.
1: Yes, so some, a lot of what I'm saying right now, we will be doing, you're not on your own. We will be doing these in WIP and in this new course that we have begun. um, This has been something for quite some time we have been um, working on and thinking that we need to um, sort of adapt um, the first-year courses, core courses in such a way as to make space for a course where we can talk about the underlying concepts of communication and the dynamics of communication in the context of an organization. Uh, So what we were doing so far was, as you know, WIP and VAC, which are uh, skills of critical thinking and writing and speaking, right? But to those skills, we wanted to add concepts about, core concepts of communication itself. And this is uneven. Some people have had some input on this in college or in, and some have not. And we just jump into WIP and um, back, which are skill-based, and think that, you know, everybody brings that. Um, and we have over the years realized that that assumption is perhaps not um, not 100% true. So we um, sort of have uh, got this approved. Uh, we adjusted the credits and made space for this credit course called managerial communication. It's a 10 session course in which um, we will do this. Consequently, uh, WAC has become slightly modified. So instead of WAC and MAC, we are going back to the terminology of WAC 1 and WAC 2 in terms 2 and 3. And they have become 0.5 instead of 0.75 credit each. And that made space for this new course On managerial communication so what we are hoping to do is that we can before we get into the skills we have these uh, 10 sessions where we can talk about effective communication in the organizational context which will serve as like a ground for then seeing the value of the skills that we do in wip and
0: slightly jealous of the pgp ones but uh, never mind
1: Uh, (laughs) oh i wish we had done this last year we sort of missed the missed introducing it and getting that whole approval process done in time and um, even this year it was a very narrow margin that we were able to get it approved or i was so afraid it would get postponed for one more year
0: uh, but that's all from my side. Uh, thank you so much, Ma'am, for giving us your time. Um, really wanted to kick start with this um, interaction we wanted to have with the professors because we really want to know the professors and everything so restricted in the virtual mode. It's absolutely so sad. So, thank you so much for all your time. Thank you so much. It was lovely interacting with you.
1: You're welcome. It was a pleasure. And um, I enjoy interacting with students. I enjoy classroom interactions for sure. But uh, this was a pleasure talking to you about things that I, that are, you know, very special, that I believe in very strongly. And uh, if it has value for you, so much better for me. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a good day. Bye.